And for everyone who is not a child and going downstairs for Children's Church, take with you with me your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we'll be looking today in verses 12 through verse 16. Acts 5, 12 through 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have it on the screen for you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, there should be a blue paperback Bible somewhere in the pews around you. Take that uh, as our free gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Uh, use that. Make good use of that uh, at home and here at church as well. If you would and if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Acts chapter 5. Verse 12, the Holy Spirit says this. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, we come today recognizing your holiness recognizing your goodness, recognizing your grace, Lord. Every attribute that makes you who you are, Lord, we come today to worship you in light of that. Lord, we are guilty at times of robbing you of certain attributes, of ignoring certain qualities that your word clearly declares of you. And so, Lord, and I pray that today we would be faithful to the word of God, that we would be faithful to read the text of scripture, to learn from it as you have taught us, Lord, and that Lord, we will be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit to convict us where we need conviction, to encourage us where we need encouraging, to guide us where we need guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh, could you turn me down just a little bit? Here in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16, we have a beautiful picture as the church is continuing to grow, as it's continuing to expand, as we are Looking in the early stages of the church, we see, once again, the mighty works of God being done by the hands of the apostles through the Holy Spirit as they are led, as they are empowered. What we see happening here is we see the call of life sent by Jesus Christ that comes through him being declared to the world beginning here in Jerusalem. And we see the power that's accompanied by this call here in Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. And I was reminded as I was preparing this week of a book that was written back in the year 2004. The book is uh, titled Jesus Calling. It's a book written by a woman named Sarah Young, who is a, uh, a former missionary. I think she was a missionary child, in fact. The book, after it was written, quickly became a bestseller, sold Thousands and thousands, even millions of copies within the first couple of years that it was produced. But the book itself is an interesting, and I would even say a problematic book. 
And that the very premise of the book, as Sarah Young writes, is that Sarah is proposing that she is receiving words from Jesus and writing them down for her readers in this daily devotional. And each and every day, there is a different word that Sarah receives from Jesus and delivers to us. It's a very problematic approach because, as we know, we have the Word of God written for us here in the Bible. And to declare that Jesus is now speaking directly to someone and they are now producing for us these words of Jesus poses all kinds of problems, problems with authority, problems with sufficiency of Scripture, all kinds of issues that can arise from this idea that Jesus is somehow speaking directly to an individual outside of his word, and then that individual is going to give us those words. And there are all kinds of problems with this, but one of the fascinating things about this book, Jesus Calling, as the claim has it that Sarah Young is receiving words from Jesus, that these are that we are reading are intended to be understood to be Jesus' words given to Sarah and now delivered to us. But what is unfortunate and insightful and interesting is that these words of Jesus that are given to Sarah so often sound very different and carry a very different tone than the words that Jesus has given us in the Bible. In addition to the very problems with the claim itself in general, It's interesting to note that the very kind of message that's presented by Sarah Young in her book entitled Jesus Calling is very different than the message that Christ has revealed to us in the Bible. Her messages are very regularly encouraging and sweet and kind, and oftentimes they might even be correct. One of the things that you might notice if you have read that book or uh, if you have encountered it is that very rarely do her Words from Jesus include instructions on repentance from sin, include information about the wrath of God, the holiness of God upon sin. Church family, we have received a word from Jesus. We can hear Jesus calling, but it is not to be found in any book written by human beings, but it is to be found in the very word of God. It's found here, every word of every page written in this book that we have opened up here before us and we need no other word and as we see today the word that we are given here in the scriptures and the call to life that jesus has extended to us and to the apostles is very different and yet far better than anything that we would ever hear from human authors what i want us to see today though it may not be obvious right away as we read this text, is that the call to life that the Lord gives us and that his apostles and the church continue to carry to the world today, this call to life is the message that Jesus brought and continues to be the heart of what the church is doing here in Acts. This call upon the world, upon sinners to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. This is the call to life that Jesus himself gives. And now his apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit are declaring to the world around them. I want us to look today as we read at this instance here in Acts. And I want us to see some of the characteristics of this call to life that now is 
given by Jesus in the gospel. And I say that this call is quite different from Jesus' calling in Sarah's book. And one of the main reasons that we can see it is different is because in this very text that we have here before us today, we see the weight of this call in verses 12 through 13. This is point number one of our text today, the weight of the call. Verses 12 through 13 says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. But then verse 13, Luke tells us, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. We see the weight of the call that is placed upon the lives of sinners here in verse 13. Verse 13 tells us that there were many here, many who heard the message of the gospel, who saw the mighty works and deeds that were done. And the Bible tells us that they dared not join them. Why is this? Why is it that individuals would see the mighty works being done, people being healed, signs and wonders being accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet they would dare not join them? It seems like a strange thing to say that as all of these signs and wonders were being done, power was being displayed here by the Holy Spirit through these apostles in the early church, and yet there were many who dared not join them. Well, if you were here last week, you'll know that it was because of what they had witnessed in the previous verses. As they witnessed the holiness of God and felt the weight of what it meant to follow him. As Aaron so, so adequately preached to us last week, this God that we are called to, the God that offers us life, that brings us to life, is a holy God. And to understand who this God is and what he is calling us to. And, and though we see his mighty works and wonders being done, we also see that this calling that he is putting upon our lives is a weighty calling. It is a serious calling with serious commitments. We live in a day and age of life hacks. In fact, whole television shows have been produced about life hacks, about these Simple little solutions, simple little changes that we can make, that we can add in our lives to make our lives just a little bit better, to make things just a little bit more convenient, to make us just a little bit more productive in life. This is how a lot of people, I think, view Christianity. And I think, unfortunately, even how many people view Christ. They view the Christian faith as a, as a sort of life hack as something to be added on to their life, just a little change that could be made that just will make your life here on earth a little bit better. That will make things just a little more convenient for you. That will maybe even make you just a little bit more profitable. If you just add this thing into your life. Like putting a rubber band on your, on your glass to make it more grippy or, or freezing your coffee in ice cubes to not water down your coffee when it's too hot. They view Christianity like this too. That Christianity is something that we can simply add on to our lives, add on to what we do and who we are, and, and say, well, great, that'll just make things a little bit better for me in my life, a little bit more convenient, a little bit more prosperous. But church family, Christianity is not, that, is not like that. It is not a life hack. It is not a 
simple little trick to be added on to make things a little better for you in this life. Now, I would be the first one to go on record and say, those who accept Jesus Christ, who trust in him by faith, who embrace this call to life that he is extending for us, I think your life will be better here on this earth. I think there are temporal blessings that are to be found in trusting in Christ. I certainly think there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that is to be ours, a joy that is to be ours that is found in Jesus Christ. And that despite what happens in the world, despite how profitable we are, despite how convenient our life is. But the thing is, God didn't just come to offer us a simple life hack kind of religion. The call to come to Christ and the call to salvation is not an easy, no commitment offer. It's not the kind of offer that we here in America kind of like. We see ads all the time for for offers of of get this mattress and try it risk-free for a whole year. If you don't like it, send it back. Risk-free. There's no commitment necessary in this plan. And we want that to be the case with Christianity, don't we sometimes? We want it to be a a risk-free, a no-commitment kind of offer. But the reality is that's not the offer that Jesus ever lays out in the Scriptures. He offers us His grace freely in the sense that grace cannot be earned. He doesn't weigh our merit as to whether or not we deserve His grace and give it to us on the basis of that. Certainly, His grace is free in that sense. But the call to life, the call to grace, the call that He is giving us is a call to a commitment. Some people think about Christ as an investment in their portfolio that they can add on, not have to think about, and just reap the benefits later. But it has no effect, no bearing on their life today. But that is not what Christianity is. We might love getting the benefits for free without making any commitment. But look, Jesus is not a door-to-door salesman talking you into buying this product that he has. Talking you into giving this product a shot. Christ comes to you knowing your deepest need. And the solution to your greatest issue is what he has to offer. He has called you to come freely and without reservation. But that does not mean that there is no commitment. As one Christian hip-hop artist put it, our God is good, but he's not safe. What Christ has called us to is not just a religion. It is not just a particular worldview. He has called us to something and he has called us to himself and with that call comes self-denial. He's called us to himself in totality, calling us to forsake all and follow after him. I mean, just listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. He says in Matthew 18, 19 through, 19 through 22, and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. The call to follow Christ is indeed the call to life and life everlasting and life eternal. 
but it is a call to a radical commitment to him. This day, Easter Sunday, is a perfect time to sort of set the record straight on this. Because you all know churches are are hitting their capacity today. Church attendance is higher today than it probably will be all year. Why is that? Why is it that on Easter and maybe on Christmas as well, church attendance skyrockets? People find themselves in the pews. It's largely because this is the way people think about Christ and think about Christianity. They think about it as some sort of life hack. Well, I've got to go to worship this Sunday. It's Easter. It's what people do. I want to reap the benefits of of this, right? You know, sort of the cultural thing to do. There seems to be some pros to this. So sure, I'll go and I'll I'll add this on to, to what I'm doing. But that's not what Christianity is. And there might be some of you in here who that describes you. And let me first of all say, if you're new here to Redeemer Fellowship Church, and maybe even if you are here for the first time in a long time, maybe you're here because it's Easter Sunday. Let me first of all say, welcome. We're glad you're here. We want you here. But let me offer you a warning as well and offer you this piece of of clarifying information. You being here on Easter Sunday morning has earned you no merit before God. It has earned you no favor in the sight of God. But that's not just you only. Every person who's here every Sunday, every Sunday that they come here, they have not checked off a little bit more merit to add to their pile of, of merit so that they can hopefully get God's grace, so that they can hopefully be justified before God. No. The grace of God is offered to us freely in Christ, not based upon our merit. But just know that the call to Christ, and if you are really wanting to embrace what he has to offer, it means more than just a simple commitment, an addition to what you already have going on. It means, as Jesus himself says, taking up your cross daily and following him. So we're glad you're here. We want you here. We want you back next week. But just know that this is what it means to follow Christ, which is what we are encouraging you to. This is a weighty call that he has given us here. It is not commitment free. It is not risk free. Point number two, the call to life that God has given us is also an effective call. We see the effectiveness of the call then in the following verse, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Based on what I have just said, right? What we just read back in verse 13, doesn't it seem crazy that verse 14 now tells us more than ever believers were being added? Didn't Luke just say in the previous verse that they dared not join them? It seems kind of like a contradiction, doesn't it? That Luke just said they dare not join them, and now Luke is telling us that more believers were being added than ever. How do we make sense of this? Is Luke contradicting himself here? Is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? I would argue he's not. Luke isn't contradicting himself here. Rather, he's making clear about the situation. He's making clear that there is no middle ground. There is no such thing as church members being added to the early church here who were on the fence, 
or had one foot in and one foot out. Because there's no, there's no place for these kinds of people in God's church. There is no riding the fence when it comes to Jesus Christ. You cannot accept that Jesus was some sort of good teacher or that there's some value in what he has to offer and yet reject the call that he has put upon our lives, which is a total and utter call to him. Really what we need to see and understand here is that a person who only has one foot in and one, one foot in and one foot out actually has two feet out. There is no such position in Christ. The people here in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem realized the foolishness of this. What they had experienced just previously with Ananias and Sapphira was enough to let them know that they better not test God. This is a holy God who has called us to something serious. He has called us to life change, to a full commitment. And if you try and come into this commitment, if you try and partake in the benefits of Christ and yet come holding on to your own desires, holding on to your own wishes, come even to the, to the point of Ananias and Sapphira seeking to deceive God in some way, this is what will happen to you. Your end is not going to be good. The people of Jerusalem recognized this, and therefore no one dared consider being halfway in. They understood it was far better for them to just reject it than to even try and get close. You see, that's the way it is with Christ. You either completely accept him or you completely reject him, and with him the the offer of life and salvation. But despite this, despite the backing away of so many who were not fully committed to Christ, and even though, they, even though they knew it meant a total commitment, they knew the cost that it was going to cost them, that they were probably even going to be persecuted, the number of those who believed were added to the church, and it was still growing. More than ever, the text says. This was astonishing. Though they understood the commitment that was expected and even required, they still followed Christ. Why? They believed because they understood the offer that he was giving them and they understood their need correctly. They said like the disciples, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We know that the call to Christ is hard. We know that the commitment is great. But we know that we have no other alternative if we would be saved. You see, when you're confronted with the reality of your sin and the wrath of God that is due each and every one of us because of our sin, when you begin to understand that need and then understand the offer that Christ has made, the call to life that he is giving us, you see that really the commitment is worth it. When we understand our need and that the offer of Christ that is laid before us meets that need, we realize that there's no commitment too great. No cost too high that should keep us from him. That is what our need is, and that is what his offer is. Our need is a way to be found in the presence of God, our way to be made righteous, our way to escape God's wrath that is due us because of our sin. And that way is made possible in Jesus Christ. This also ought to inform the way we teach, the way we preach, the way we seek to reach the world around us as well. We ought not hold back the truth in order to make Christ more inviting. This often happens in the church today. 
even in preaching. And, and let me say, as a preacher, I can feel the weight of this temptation, a temptation to preach a sermon that might be a little bit easier to digest, might be a little bit easier to handle, might not sound so serious or so weighty or such a heavy call upon our life. But what we see here in the, the demonstration of the apostles is that the, the call of the gospel is not made more inviting if we downplay the seriousness of our sin, if we downplay the holiness of God, if we downplay the, the real commitment that is being asked here. But in spite of that, and in fact because of that, people see their deepest and greatest need for Christ. When we begin to sugarcoat things and attempt, as though we could, to make the offer of salvation, the offer of the gospel, more inviting, all we do is cheapen the gospel. All we do is cheapen grace. All we do is cheapen Christ. Let us not ever be guilty of that. Will there be people that reject it and that turn away? Yes, there were here. But the call that Jesus gives, the call to life that he puts upon the hearts of the people here is also effective. In that knowing the risk, knowing the commitment, many still come to faith in Christ. So as we go out and we proclaim the gospel boldly and truthfully, not seeking to escape any of the harder portions of it or the difficulties of it, as we do so, the Holy Spirit will work on people's lives. The truth of God will be revealed and people will be saved. We see here the effectiveness of this call to life. And then thirdly, point number three, we see the joy of the call to life. In verses 15 through 16, this just amazing scene that we see here is described by Luke. He says, we'll start in, in verse 14. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns and around, around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. They were all healed. This is a miraculous and amazing scene that we see happening here. Where people are coming from all around. Sick are being brought on their beds and on their cots in hopes that even the shadow of Peter might pass over them, that they might be healed. And the result of this is we see in the end of verse 16, they were all healed. This was a miraculous scene unlike anything else, as all of these sick, all of these affected by demons were brought, and they were all cleansed, they were all healed. In our theology class that we have a couple times a month, we've been working our way through... Uh, the gifts of the Spirit. We've talked about miracles, and one of the, the things that we've talked about, if you've been there and, and you remember uh, from months ago, we talked about the purpose of miracles, and, and there are multiple purposes to miracles. I think there are two that are, that are primary for us as we understand. First of all, the point of miracles is to validate the message that was preached and the messengers who preached it. That no one could deny that these men were apostles of, of God, that they were sent from heaven Heavenly messengers empowered by the Holy Spirit because of the works that they were doing. The miracles that were being done. There was no denying that God was at work and validating the gospel message as it was proclaimed. And that is an essential part of what miracles do. But then the, the second purpose of miracles, and though maybe not quite as important, but still very important, 
is that these miracles bear witness to the reality that the kingdom of God has come. The signs and wonders, the healings being done by the Holy Spirit were a taste of what was to come for all of us in Jesus Christ. In these great miracles, we see the kingdom of God has come. And with it, the reversal of the curse that was brought by sin. We see the curse beginning to be undone in the lives of these people. As all who were brought are healed. The blind were given sight. The lame were given strength to walk. Those who were sick were made whole. Those who were demon-possessed were freed. These are great and amazing things that were done by Christ and by his apostles. Yet they're not the end of the story. They are just a foretaste of more that is to come. Christ came and he healed. But he did so much more than that. He did so much more than just remedy temporal issues. We sometimes think of Christ's ministry in that way. Certainly the world does. They think of Christ as, as an exterminator who came in with a can of Raid. And every time he saw a, a bug, he sprayed it with Raid. Boom, another one fixed. There's another bug. Boom, another one fixed. And for hours, sprayed and sprayed and sprayed, killing these bugs. And if that was all he had done... That would have been cool. Certainly the people who were healed would have been greatly appreciative. But if that's all he had done, it would have been a waste. Because we all know how far a can of raid goes when you have an infestation, right? It goes as far as the can of raid goes. And then the bugs are back. What Jesus did is more than that. He dropped a salvation bug bomb that completely eradicated the issue. And these Healings that we see now are a foretaste of what is to come. That all of these issues will one day be no more. This serves for us as a picture of what the kingdom of God will bring. It's an undoing of all the effects of the fall. When the kingdom of God is consummated after Christ's return, there will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain. Here is a foretaste of that coming day. Every inch of sin and the effect thereof will be eradicated. But there's one product, one product of the fall that we haven't mentioned yet, and that is death itself. We know that death was not a part of the world as God originally created it. When God originally created the world, he created it free of death, free of pain, free of suffering, and yet what we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, as Paul writes... Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. If there was ever a basic definition of the biggest problem that we face as human beings, this would be it. Death itself. Because of sin, death has entered the world and has spread to all of us. And now what is the debt that all men pay? Death. If there was ever... Just a basic definition of our problem. This is it. It is death, the product of the fall. But here's the good news. Just as we look at the signs and wonders being done through the apostles here in Acts as a foretaste of what is coming when the kingdom is consummated and all these things will be eradicated, when we look at the empty tomb of Jesus as we do each and every Easter, we see there a foretaste of what is to come for each and every one of us. We see in Christ a foretaste of our coming resurrection. 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so each and every one of us who is united to him by faith, though we will taste death for, death for a moment, it will be overcome. We will be raised from the dead. Death no longer has dominion over us. This is the good news found in Jesus Christ, that his empty tomb is the foretaste of the greatest effect that sin has brought. In the resurrection of Jesus, we are given a guarantee of the coming resurrection of all who believe. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came death, by a man come, has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ in his resurrection represents the first fruit of a coming harvest. We are that harvest. Each and every one of us can know and trust that a day is coming when we will be raised from the dead. When death will be utterly put under Christ's feet in subjection to him. And we can trust it because the proof is in the first fruits. The proof is in Christ's empty tomb. He is the first fruits. This is a, a wonderful time of year, a great season here, this time in the spring specifically, because now is the time that morel mushrooms grow. And if you know me, you know that I love to go out hunting for morel mushrooms. And this time specifically, the, the first couple days, the first week of, of mushroom season, what you notice is you see these little bitty black morel mushrooms popping up out of the ground. Black morels are, are really tasty, really good, but they're also really tiny, and they're kind of hard to find. And so if all I got was these little black morels, it probably wouldn't be all that exciting. But the good news is, and the cool thing about these little black morels, is that I know that the bigger yellow morels are coming later. That in just a week or two, I'm going to have great big mushrooms popping out of the ground, that a better harvest is coming. These little black morels serve for me as a mushroom hunter as the first fruits, so that when I see them, I know something better is coming. I know that sounds like a silly illustration, but look, Jesus Christ is for us the first fruits. When we think about the empty tomb of Christ, when we think that he is no longer in the grave, but that he lives, we know that a coming harvest is coming. That we will live with him forever in eternity, even though one day on this earth we will die. We have hope, we have joy in a coming harvest because of Christ's resurrection. So we conclude by saying, it is a great commitment to follow Christ. And it is. And I would never extend to you the call to Christ and, and try and deceive you into thinking that there's no commitment, that it's risk-free, that it's a nice life hack to be added to your life. That would be a lie. Christ is calling you to a commitment. He's calling you to a life change. He's calling you to count the cost. And it is a difficult thing. But isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it as opposed to the alternative? To be left in your sin, to be left deceived, and to ultimately face death with no hope for eternity. This call to life is the word that Jesus has delivered to us, and it is the word that is now continually being proclaimed by the apostles. And we have the joy of seeing here in Acts 
the foretaste of what, it, what is to come, the, the healing that represents the greater healing that is to come, the freedom of demon possession that represents the greater freedom found in Christ. And we look at all these things and we say, it is worth it. To those of you who are maybe here in this place today and, and I've described you when I described a Christian who has one foot in and one foot out, I would encourage you, that is a bad and dangerous place to be. Because at least those who, who dared not go near it, who dared not join themselves to the believers, they at least understood the weight of what was being asked, the weight of who was calling them. And if you are right now living as though you can add Jesus onto your life, you can just sort of take advantage of the benefits with no commitment, then let me just warn you that you are in a very dangerous place called presumption presuming upon God's grace. Let me encourage you, go all in. Don't take both feet out because of that, but rather put both feet in. Trust in Christ for your salvation. It is a commitment. It is a, a call to something heavy, but it is also a call to life. To those of you who are in this place today and you've embraced this call to life and, and we rejoice in that, even you can say along with the rest of us, we feel the effects of the curse of, of sin still, don't we? And it weighs us down. It wears us out in this life. Feeling the pain of, of sin that it causes in our bodies, that it causes in the world around us, and ultimately that it leads to death in this world, and we feel the weight of that. Let me just encourage you today, of all days, look to the empty tomb of Christ. Look to what he has given us as a foretaste of what is to come and find hope and find joy and rejoice. Even if there's no reason to rejoice in your life here on earth as it stands right now, you have reason for hope. You have reason for joy because all will be made right. The, the feast of what we see the foretaste of here now is coming. And we as believers, as followers of Christ, have been invited to that feast and will one day Feast with Christ in eternity. Jesus calls us. He calls us, come to me, all who are lab lab excuse me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is a heavy call. It is a difficult call at times, but it is a call to life. It is a call to joy. It is a call to rest in Christ Jesus. Would you answer that call today? Let's pray. Lord God, we are so 